0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Under the Radar SFF Books Podcast. My name is Blaze. Thank you so much for joining me wherever you may be around the world. If you like the content I create, please like, share, hit that subscribe button. It helps me grow not only as a podcast creator, but also as a person. And it's time for another author interview. I know, I've been doing a bunch of those recently. Uh, I'm pleased to be joined by Tim Hardy. Tim Hardy is the uh, author of the Brotherhood of the Eagle series, and his debut novel, Hall of Bones, is actually an SPFBO finalist. Tim, welcome to the program. Thank you for joining us. Hi there, Blazier. Thanks very much for having me on. Oh, sure. Anytime. Uh, I remember it was when I first started uh, becoming a blogger. i Probably a little over a year ago today, you first reached out to me with your um, kind of with your blurb for your debut novel, Hall of Bones. I remember we communicated via email going back and forth in a North inspired epic fantasy series, very much in the same vein as maybe like a Game of Thrones or a Robin Hobb's uh, Farseer series. And I jumped right on it. And after reading and I realized that this is something really special and it seems like many of my fellow constituents bloggers agree enough to put you as a as a finalist. So congratulations. Yeah. Um, yeah. thank you very much. And
1: I, I will just start by saying, you know, you were one of the first bloggers that kind of like picked up on Hall of Bones. So, you know, kudos for that. You know, it's uh, appreciate, you know, you must get a lot of requests from a lot of people. And I'm, I'm just really glad you picked up my book and uh, helped start um, start spread the word, really.
0: Oh, anytime. It, it brings me joy to, to see that other people are enjoying the same type of stories that I am. So how has the ex- whole experience been being a SPFBO um, finalist? And for those of you who don't know what that is, it's self-published fantasy blog off started by Mark Lawrence. I believe this is the seventh time this has happened. So seven years yep. going by. So how's the whole process been? Have you met a lot of new bloggers and authors and how you've been enjoying it?
1: It's
0: been great. It was really... Yeah, it was really quite a
1: nerve-wracking experience in many ways. You, you think to yourself, fine, okay, I'm, I've written a book, I need to tell people about it, and, you know, Spiffbo, which is a heck of a lot easier to say than trying to do those um, initials, actually. And Spiffbo seemed like a really lo- obvious thing to do, but it's quite a public, quite a brutal contest in some ways. Uh, and I, I have to be honest with you, I, I, I never actually expected to get that far. I, I hoped I might get a good review. Uh, I, I never in my wildest dreams thought that it would make it all the way through to the finals. And... Um, Sort of quite vivid memories of kind of getting to the end of October we were still kind of waiting for that uh, sort of like semi-finalist spots to be announced and uh, got into that stage and was you know kind of reeling from that and within about three or four days of that announcement that the blog then actually said hall of Ode is the one going through so it was a bit of a bit of a sort of wild ride really after a lot of tension a lot of waiting all of a sudden it sort of like yeah it all just came together in that those last sort of four four or five days really um and yeah, I mean, positive experience, really. I mean, you're right; it gets you a lot of contact with with other bloggers, and and um, you know, book blogs more generally. You know, a lot of them are a sort of consolidation of different people, aren't they? Um, and yeah, get, getting to know some of the finalists as well—that's been quite good, quite good fun. So, um, in fact, we're, we're kind of a—we're actually at part of the um, Fanfiction Addicts um, To Be Read Conference taking place. Um, we, we've, we've got a panel on there. Um, 30th of, um, of January. So again, we'll all be gathering together for a bit more madness at the end of, end of the month, actually.
0: Oh, that sounds fantastic. I'll definitely tune in for that. And for those of you who don't know the specifics about the contest, I'll kind of break it down really quickly for you. So this year, there was 300 entries into this um, contest, and there was 10 blogs, and each blog was responsible for 30 books. So of those 30 books, each blog had to pick one book as a finalist or they they could pick several as semi-finalists. And of those semi-finalists, they pick one as a finalist and Tim's was chosen to be a finalist and that's how it works. So it's a very stiff, very stiff competition, especially some of the books this year, um, which are fantastic. And yours is definitely among them. And I couldn't be more, couldn't be more happy to see, see your you. book get more um, publicity in it. So can you tell the audience members how you started as um, as a writer? Uh, what drove you to want to become a uh, fancy book writer, and what were your influences uh, growing up? When did it start?
1: That's a good question. Um, I, I suppose i you're trying to think. I think I'd early 30s. I, I thought I'd always liked writing. I've always enjoyed doing that and sort of flirting with things like you know keeping diaries. Loved reading when I was younger, that kind of thing. And then I, I just had I can't really explain why I did it, but I just felt it was something I had, I needed to do. Yeah, and that's probably a bit of a weak answer in some ways, but I can't. It just felt like something I wanted to give it a try, see if I could do it. And I I, I just sat down and and started started writing uh, sort of my first novel. I don't know why I didn't think short fiction would be the way to go. I thought let's go in for you know two hundred thousand word epic fantasy extravaganza and see how easy that is. It turns out it's really really hard to do. Yep, <laughs> with the benefit of hindsight. So. Why do yeah? I it's really interesting. Why do I've, I've just felt it was something I would always regret not trying. I think is the the bottom line there. I'd read books I'd enjoyed, always hanging up to could I do that? Maybe, maybe not. And to be honest, that started quite a long journey really for me of actually. You know, it's one thing to have the t- desire to write. It's actually quite a different thing to have the technical capability of writing, especially when you're teaching yourself as you go along. So I basically wrote an appalling novel. It took me about five years and about three attempts with that one book to think actually it's just not very good set that aside and um, started uh, the the book that ultimately became Hall of Bones. When I say um, set it aside, we're we're talking here about starting Hall of Bones back in the year. It was 2011 when I actually began writing that book. So that was another four year journey to get that book from initial concepts into, you know, what looked like, I suppose, a decent first draft of that book that I was willing to sort of share with other people, really. So it took me quite a long time, probably about, what would that be, about six, seven years to get from, keen but hopeless to keen vaguely competent basically uh, and then still been learning ever since really um so yeah it, it kind of just felt like something I had to do and I think a lot of writers feel that way it's not sort of necessarily something that uh necessarily easy to do but a lot of writers feel a bit of a compulsion to do it a compulsion to tell stories uh, and then once you start and you sort of start to understand the possibilities you become you know yeah it's a bit of a bit of an addictive bug actually it's you know i wouldn't want to not have this as part of my life now put it that way
0: yeah amazing and as you were pondering what your series and what your book wanted to to be what influence did you draw upon um some of your favorite writers i remember i know robin hobb you said as as one is there any other ones you drew heavily upon
1: yeah robin hobb was was the one i was thinking of when i sort of so i kind of so i kind of wrote a I think what I basically wrote with my first novel was uh, Firefly meets Dragonlance. Um, that was kind of, so it kind of, it was fun, but it just wasn't, it was very, very derivative. It wasn't really kind of one thing or the other. Robin Hobb was kind of quite, has uh, always been an important writer for me. And that kind of, that vibe she had of, you know, realism, you know, that the family dynamic, that, that was all something that kind of, kind of stuck with me. And I thought, well, if I, if I applied that sort of narrative, that tense narrative of what takes place in, in her books, with, with that, those sort of central group of characters and maybe focus on the politics. That's really was the vibe I was going for to begin with, focus on the politics. That I, I just wanted to try that, and it, it seemed to flow really quickly. As soon as I kind of got that idea, it just started to, to move. I think that obviously it was quite a long writing process. we talk about 2011 to 2015 to get that book done. Other influences then started to creep in. So Robin Hobb was definitely the origin, um, but I'd say it was, uh, well, Game of Thrones is, is, is a big influence. There's no two ways about it. I'd say as well, uh, along with that, um, in addition to Game of Thrones, it's, it's probably kind of a combination, you know, that the TV show The Vikings kind of came in. I mean, The Vikings were there right from the beginning, but again, that that these things sort of seep into you a bit. And I think subconsciously you absorb a lot of your cultural influences and references, really. So those, those sort of became quite key, really. Uh, and also, as a bit of a random aside, the Sandman series by Neil Gaiman, I don't know if you've ever read um, any of the comics I have them on my shelf I'm getting to them you, you, you need to get to them <laughs> it's, uh, um, but that that's the that they're they're very sort of um, important in terms of the magical influence of the book that kind of becomes stronger as the, the book goes on and becomes more more important part of it again not trying to copy but that uh, you know to a certain extent, gate you know Neil Gaiman sort of sketched out these the sort of interconnected realms and dream kind of connecting all of those things together that again became an idea that sort of again seeped into the the fabric of Hall of Bones and the Brotherhood series really.
0: Yeah. I've I've actually, I read the first graphic novel of Sam Man a while ago and and I have the rest of them on my shelf and my brother-in-law has read all of them. And he said, "Blaze, you need to, you need to get on that. You need to just read it straight through. It won't take you too long. And it's just, it keeps, keeps moving, but I promise I will get to it uh, probably in the next month or two. And I can definitely see where the influence comes, especially specifically in the, in the dreams, no spoilers for anybody, but I can definitely see that. Um, Just one more question before we dive right in. Obviously it's a Norse inspired uh, epic fantasy. How much research did you have to do into like the Norse mythology and their uh, like tactics and their lifestyle before you actually sat down and actually write the book or was it ongoing process?
1: You're kind of assuming that I've done some research. (laughs) Um, I haven't read. It's more of a feel. In fact, if anything, when I was first starting it, I thought, you know, do I? So, you know, when I was younger, when I was a you know schoolboy, that kind of age, familiar with the myths. You know, studied some of it at school. You know, picked up some of the books that you know of the time that you know people in my generation were reading. Henry um, Treese's, I think it was. I think it was literally called the Viking Saga. I think that was that's how many books were out there at the time with that subject so I kind of had a it was more of a feel and actually what I didn't want to do was dive into the mythology of it in particular because I actually wanted to take the culture but apply it to my own mythology mm-hmm. so with the first book that I'd written although I think the central plot didn't really work what I did create with that first book was all the underpinning mythology backstory deep history of, of the world I created the world of Amaran and then I kind of used that basically I used a Viking I applied that mythology to a Viking setting so I didn't want that to sort of like deflect my course by starting to sort of by you know like I said before as soon as you start looking at anything on the TV or anything on the you know in books or comic form that starts to subconsciously affect you so I kind of drew a bit of a line on that and did, did it deliberately didn't dive into it so yeah it was more a case I think my research was more a case of having read other fantasy novels before i had a good stab at it that that was and that's about as professional as i get really
0: well well everyone everyone writes uh, differently and you you're right it's definitely your own uh, mythology you add to it with different different gods and different um tribes uh sorry different clans and how they interact yeah. with each other and now they're they're enemies there's political back and forth but we'll get into all of that so uh Hall of bones it is a first person uh perspective pov it follows um rothgar he is the second son of his clan he has an older brother named Jorik, who is um, kind of the rightful heir to the to the to the head clan uh and it follows his story of how he's grow he's growing up in this in this clan how he's uh, he doesn't he's training um with the trainer i forget his first name but halfhand i believe is the is the trainer
1: yeah. um half-hand, yeah
0: Yeah, (laughs) he was a he was a real hoot of a character as well. So you see him training, you see him learning the politics. He's also he's being trained not so much to be a a warrior, even though he is he's trained for like political maneuvering, how he's supposed to marry this girl from this tribe or this clan i'm sorry, I keep saying tribe is it's clan um and how she kind of hates him and then that that's no good and then she has to go to another one there's a lot of political interactions the first half of the book is just very uh, it goes along one path and then boom yeah it goes on a completely different path and that was very very shocking and very um revealing of, of what you want this series to be uh, just walk us through um what your what you believe a Hall of Bones, uh, is. So for new audiences who haven't heard of it, and we can just go into the main characters from there.
1: Sure. Um, so yeah, I suppose to describe it in terms of influences, Hall of Bones is probably closest analogy is Game of Thrones meets the TV show, The Vikings. I think that, that ultimately is the kind of vibe and the feel um, you get with that. So yeah, that there's kind of, there's action, there's adventure, there's intrigue, you know, lots of characters to, to either root for or, or hate. So, yeah, I try and give you quite a big world with Hall of Bones, even though geographically it's quite tight. I deliberately spent a lot of time actually fleshing out the world that those characters inhabit. So, that, you know, hopefully it's rewarding for, for the reader, really.
0: Yeah, wonderful. And uh, can we just go, let's just go into the, the characters them, themselves. Rothgar. he's very um he's very uh protective he's very um he wants to learn when he starts to learn like the dark histories of um clans around him and the, the threat to the south and how there's infighting and the political maneuvering and eventually later down the road it comes to um like some some magic as well what was your influence for for hrothgar what do you want uh, the readers to see him and come across as
1: well that's interesting um what was his name i think what the- Rothgar is kind of I, I suppose it was more what he wasn't initially I, I didn't want the overpowered hero <laughs> I suppose oh, I don't know it sounds, it sounds awful sort of picking somebody else to say I don't want to be uh, for example Eragon that, that kind of series which is a great great series of books but I always felt with that I kind of came away from reading that series feeling that Eragon was a bit overpowered there was never a great sense of peril for you know what might or might not happen would he ultimately succeed he kind of felt like it was obvious he would do and I kind of so in a way, I want Rothgar to be more of an ordinary kind of person. Yeah, he's born into a high station in life. Um, he has a lot of expectations placed upon him, and he has a lot of you know that the training you mentioned is, is to try and ready him for that. He, he's also, I suppose, ultimately, like you say, he's a, he's supportive, and a family is very important. So obviously, the clans and by definition are extended families that sort of like exist in that particular part of the world in Lascar, uh, and then within that family is the bedrock of everything really uh, and quite a lot of people have sort of picked that up and said you know when they read Hall of Bones they actually get a, a really strong family vibe from that book which I hadn't I can't think I'd again I hadn't really written it from that point of view I, I thought I was really writing a political thriller um, and <laughs> but actually it seems that's the bit that's resonated more with them is actually that's the bits that, that's at stake it's not so much the outcome of the politics that people are bothered about it's actually will this family survive and if they do survive what's the cost of of that survival so yeah he, he's kind of, I can't really think of a comparable character to him I suppose maybe the closest analogy again we'll be going back to, to Robin Hobb farcier and probably fit chivalry is probably the closest analogy so not the not the central guy but somebody who plays a slightly interesting role off centre and actually is, is driving events more than he realises that that's probably the closest I, I could come to
0: yeah, I agree with um, with the other fans. Is that the the family drama and the family um, like the close togetherness of Rothgar's clans, especially him, Joric bonds that they yeah. share throughout the course of the of the book. It really it really stays with you. And and with that, you wrote this uh, story as a first person, so it's mainly following Hrothgar's, uh point of view. But you do something very interesting, especially in the second half. I'm not going to get into spoilers, but you do certain scenes where you're seeing uh, visions from other characters and there's a connection and you do it through uh, a weird uh, magic, magic, let's just say it that way. It's very reminiscent of how like uh, Robin Hobb did it with, with Fitz yeah. farce with the dreams. And also, I think I'm, I mentioned this to you. I thought it was a lot like um, Bran in game of Thrones to a different degree, but I, that's what came to my mind at first. So what was your inspiration for wanting to do something like that? Because normally when you're doing something like that, uh, it switches. Uh, point of view characters and you don't do that you just do it through someone else's eyes but, yeah. but Rothgar's feeling it, everything
1: yeah so why do I do that? Um, that that wasn't part of the original plan of the book in actual fact it was an idea that kind of came a bit, a bit later on that I sort of thought actually with first person it can be re- it's a really really interesting way to write a book and you, you get a very different feel from a first person experience to third person basically but when it becomes uh, it can also be quite constraining and I had a lot of story to tell, and so but I only had one character to tell it, and that character was integral to whole the whole plot of the whole series goes that that was that was a given. But actually, this was a I suppose in a way it was partly a plot device to be able to actually start to tell that wider story, but crucially have that taking place in a way that the central character is able to to experience and knows what's going on. That that was quite crucial. So obviously, you know, in that Game of Thrones, you've got a lot of sort of disparate narratives going on that there might be different points of view with this story but the reason I chose to do it in this way was it's all tying back still to that central story and that, that central narrative we're not may feel like we're going off on, I don't know depending on what you thought when you read it but you may feel like we're going off on a tangent sometimes but, but we're not we're actually those, those events are all basically crucial to sort of moving that plot on and, and that that central story really so yeah I mean it, fundamentally it's an, it's an idea that has been borrowed from <laughs> Robin Hobb which in itself but that, that, it's not a new idea that that ability that type of magic that ability to sort of see or experience things like you say Bram sees and it's a fairly common fancy device but I, I found it worked really well with telling the story and so I actually changed the plot and went back and sort of reworked that into into the story this is why it took four years you know it's um, partly because I didn't quite know what I was doing when I set out I thought I did but a lot of ideas came as I was going along.
0: Yeah, uh, I didn't feel like it was a tangent reading at all. I felt like it was seeing um, sure. seeing a part of the world that was not directly related to Rothgar in some situations, but it was important to the plot and it was important to see how other nations were dealing with the issues that they are dealing with. No spoiler free. I can't get can't get into no, that. You just you completed your second book in the series um yeah. Sun, the Sundered Souls. Uh, and now you're currently editing or editing your book three. How is that coming along?
1: Yeah, it's coming along. Uh, it's uh, so the third book is called um, Lost Gods. So broadly, I do know the structure of what, what what I'm working to. So third book will be called Lost Gods. That'll be due to be That's due to be published later on this year. The um, fourth book is going to be called Broken Brotherhood, uh, and that concludes the, the, the entire entire series. I'm definitely, you know, it was a trilogy, but it's already gone to four books. So I need to get it, get my own house in order and get it back under control. Um, Destiny for Lost Gods is going all right. I mean, I've, I've finished the book, which is great. I'm not happy with it. So to a certain extent, I think, you know, kind of getting to Spiffbo and, um, you know, doing well, kind of raises a bit of, bit of pressure, but also that, that thing I talked about before where you, you're still, you're always learning as you're writing. So I actually wrote those first three books sort of period you know 2011 got done with Hall of Bones to 2015 but then I kind of wrote the next two quite quick in the next sort of three years after that really and then sort of doing the work I've done sort of reworking Hall of Bones and so you just your writing level keeps going up so I kind of found I've come back to it now and it's almost like somebody else has written some of this stuff (laughs) so what was this guy doing it's just awful or it just you just see stuff that you know, you wouldn't structure some of those plot elements like that now. So I'm kind of wrestling with a, a bit of a messy draft right now. Uh, and quite frankly, it's driving me a bit mad if, if I'm being quite honest with you. It's not it's quite quite difficult because I need to get all those parts just right in that third book so that I can close it down in the fourth. Um, otherwise, well, if I'm not if I'm not careful, I will end up creating a fifth book out of the series, which might be good for some points of view, but may not from a, a tight plotting point of view. So, yeah, this is it's probably the most difficult book I've written, I think, because I know what I'm doing. I think before I wrote terrible books and didn't know why. Now I know why I've written a terrible book and therefore I can correct it. So I think it is progress of a sort
0: well hollow bones is anything but a terrible book so you had to do something right with with that and from my perspective as a blogger take as much time as you need to get it right Uh, considering you have released two books in the past two years and that's more than a lot of authors do nowadays Mm -hmm. i mean unless you're brandon sanderson you're pumping out like three books in three books a year or something like that no one's one's superman over here so it's going to be a four book series and um and what are, you have any plans for thinking about any series you're going to do after that, or any, anything percolate in the back of your mind of what you would like to do, or is that just um, work in progress?
1: Um, yeah. A couple of projects kind of are on the go. So um, yeah, I've got, um, I've got a novel that's, so I'm, I'm an agent to do author. So um, actually one of the reasons why I spent quite a long time writing that series before self public was I've actually been, John Gerald is my literary agent. And we, we were originally looking at the, um, traditional publishing route which Mm -hmm. ultimately chose we chose not to go down and therefore all the bones is kind of now in the hands of the public basically but we are still looking at um querying another different book called a quiet vengeance which is same fantasy world but different continental setting so um and actually quite deliberately a much narrower cast of characters so it's kind of got more of a north african middle eastern kind of vibe that that's the culture in which that that book is set it's basically a two-hander so you've got um uh, a character called um Nimsu's who's like a street child and um she's basically trying to claw her way up through society and then you've got another character she interacts with as part of that story um called dojan who's a prince who's kind of trying to avoid being dragged down almost really so you kind of got this this so again not multi not not a single first person point of view but more of a, a dual story really so th- that's out to query at the moment so that i kind of wrote that because I was getting tired writing the Brotherhood of the Eagles series. And I I think because my ideas and my, frankly, my sort of technique was running away from me a bit and I needed to pause, press reset, do something different, learn a bit more again about how to tightly plot something. And then I've applied that in, in then trying to get this sort of, you know that the current series is already again. So, that, that's quite that's been quite a big, but quite a big side project, and potentially is the start of another series if um, if things go well and inspiration takes hold. So I'm quite quite excited about that actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you know, what was I? So yeah, that has been that's the, that's novel format, and then I've also started doing short fiction. That that's kind of been in the last um, six months or so. Um again, I, I think just to help tighten writing technique and, and, and so on, was I found it really quite refreshing to do short pieces of fiction. And the idea is that these get released to um, through through my website. If you're a, a newsletter subscriber, basically, um, you, you get these sort of exclusive stories. And whilst that sounds a bit of a gimmick, I, I, I do it for quite serious reasons, partly to reward readers for being interested, but also to give them a bit more depth into the world. So because Brotherhood of the Eagles has got a lot of depth, a lot of characters, you can't actually give them all airtime in a novel format. So the short story is quite a good way to sort of me to sort of say, I've got, you know, different, different strands, different bits of the character, different bits of the story I wanted to tell or I'd like to tell, and I can do it in the short story format over, you know, 10, 20 pages to fill in some of the blanks and give the reader something else to dive into. That if they read the series, that's great. They'll get some references there. But if they haven't read that series, hopefully it also whets their appetite to actually, you know, want to explore more, really. So it kind of work, works from both ways. And it's a really good palate cleanser between edits, so again, press reset, kind of, you know, make just make sure you sort of, a, you need to clear your mind in my view, between those, between those series of edits. Otherwise again, you can get a bit lost within the, the, the text. So the short story format I found really good to keep writing, keep that habit going, but just move away from the novel, do something different and then go back to it. And I, I found it's definitely helped tighten up the writing in the round really. So not sure what I'm going to do with those because I'll, I'll, they'll start to be a collection fairly soon, maybe a short story collection. In a few years' time, that that might be kind of what bookends the end of the Brotherhood of the Eagle. So that, that's that's kind of a, a vague plan for the future, really.
0: Oh, that sounds spectacular. Uh, especially that idea for the for your new novel. That sounds really, really interesting. The only other author at the top of my head that has um, like a different continent in the same world. Um, actually there's two um, Steven Erickson does that with Malazan yeah. And also Brian McClellan does it With his um, uh, Powder, Powder Mage uh, series The first trilogy oh. happens on one continent And then the second one happens on another continent But it has some overlapping characters So I'm very, very much looking forward to that and the rest of your uh, Brotherhood of the Eagle uh, series uh, as well. Whenever that's published out, I ask this all my author uh, interviews since I am under the radar SFF books. Do you have any um, suggestions or recommendations for any other science fiction, fantasy, or any other uh, type of genre uh, for under the radar uh, books? Can be any any author who you uh, who you love.
1: Oh, good good question there. Um, I, I, obviously, yeah, under the radar kind of links in with indie, doesn't it? Quite well. I mean, I think any of the spiffbo, finalists are well worth a look at I've read I've read at least the first chapter of every um one of the finalists just to get a feel for what those books were like and um yeah I, I was just, I think one of the things that really struck me was just how different they all were mm-hmm. which is great but also how, and how diverse their voices were you could each one you picked up you you, you could tell straight away it was a different writer that had written it and, and pull that together So, you know, within that, you know, they're all good books. I mean, I've already sort of mentioned it on social media and, you know, done the reviews and things. So, you know, Polly Tinsley's uh, We Men of Ash and Shadow, that is a fantastic book. I mean, I I just read that, loved it. One of those first books where you pick it up and you're really excited. When you you think, this is really good, you can't wait to turn the pages. Absolutely fantastic debut debut novel. Uh, And I'm right in the middle of Legacy of the Brightwash by Crystal Matar at the moment. Mm -hmm chunk of a book fair to say yeah really different very very character driven you know again a, a fantastic really accomplished um debut. and then of course you've got those other more established indie stars in there you know people like Michael Fletcher um you know uh, bengali Clayton Snyder for example who've kind of obviously put a lot got a lot of output out there as well but I think still for some people probably still to be discovered I, I think it's fair to say you know there's a you know I think there's still a bit of a crossover there between with indie kind of hitting that mainstream consciousness and people kind of knowing there's some really good stuff out there really other other good books that i'd recommend. i mean you interviewed him actually um fairly re- on your show pl stewart yep um a drowned kingdom that is the most ambitious verging on bonkers sort of book you know book series that I've, I've ever sort of heard somebody lay out you know that man is is really driven but he's driven because he's got a great idea and again i think his books are a little bit for me they're a bit underrated because they're really ambitious books. They've got epic sweep, you know, he, he uses great description in, in them and, you know, tackles, so he doesn't shy away from tackling really difficult themes in that book either. You know, a drowned kingdom appeals to, it's definitely worth, uh, worth a look at. I'll, I'll probably st- stick with, because sort of Spiffbo kind of world. I I'll probably also give a shout out to Jacob Sannox as well. May or may not have heard of him, but semi-finalist, a yeah, couple of, uh, you know, successively actually on a couple of, uh, about two or three years ago, um, just, Again, wrote a book that I just what the title was is now, isn't that? Uh, it'll come back to me if I just carry on talking. But he, again, he kind of writes it's basically sort of different spirits of um, sort of um, nature, and it's a, basically a kind of a combination of um, how you sort of how humanity clashes with nature and who's ultimately going to win in that in that context. And it's um, it's ultimately it's not going to be humanity, is it? So dark oak. has come back to me now. Yep. So um, that's uh, yeah. Again, just shows you what an indie book can do. Picked that up and had lots of a few preconceptions about it started reading through it and it it just kept confounding me basically every every paragraph so if you've not checked that one out thoroughly recommend it I'm trying to think who else i suppose Bayon larson as well um children was a spiff bow contender um early, early doors in, in the competition this year uh again really gifted really versatile writer he's, he's puts out you know he's got lots of things on the go all of them very different. And I think, again, just showcases that the talents out there really, that they kind of spring to mind in the indie sort of sphere of things. I, I suppose on the sci fi side, I've recently discovered um, Gareth L. Powell, Embers of War. Mm-hmm. I, I really struggled for I, I basically fell out of fantasy for quite a while. So I read it and enjoyed it. Uh, and then had quite a long, pretty over a decade where I didn't really read much fantasy, but I was into sci fi. And Ian M. Banks was my author you know go-to author of choice basically in that sort of period and obviously when he passed away left a big gap in that for me in that sort of sci-fi arena and i think you know gareth Powell's the one of the first ones that i uh, picked up his book and just felt he kind of he had the essence of ian m banks but he kind of allied it with a, a lot of humanity and humor in a way that you know maybe just lots of big concepts but yeah just, i suppose just a different unique voice really and uh, yeah really really enjoy his writing as well so uh yeah, that, that's just off the top of my head. I could probably go on for another forty-five minutes, but you probably don't want that, do you? Ah,
0: uh, I, I, I can be here all day. You know me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, a question about: since you said interesting, you weren't you got away from fantasy and you were into science fiction. Um, have you read anything by um, Adrian uh, Tchaikovsky?
1: Uh, author I'm, I've heard of, but no, I haven't actually. Because has he, he? I'm trying to think if he's done a collaboration with Gareth. I don't think so. But they're, they're sort of yeah, their books are quite closely associated nowadays, aren't they?
0: Yeah, so he's well known for his science science fiction. He's wrote uh, Children of Time and that and that yeah. series. He has uh, Doors of Doors of Eden, I believe, is another one. He's well known for his science fiction, as he should. And I've released all of my uh, reviews for his fantasy epic fantasy series, um, Shadows of the Apt, which I consider probably it's in my top five favorite epic fantasy yeah. series of all time. It's just brilliant uh, what he does. So. Um, If you're a huge science fiction fan, highly recommend him. And if you want to adventure into the very epic fantasy with having to do with mysticism, having to do with industrialization, how there's clashing, how one is rising, the other one's falling and how the interaction and different Different species; they're called Kinden, and how they interact with each other—it's just fantastic. Couldn't recommend that series enough. I, I talk about it every chance <laughs> chance I get. So, um, if you ever have yeah. a chance to read them, I uh, highly recommend uh, that.
1: Yeah, but uh, I think yeah, you're, you're not the first person to be sort of banging that drum, basically. So, I think uh, I think i are going to have to uh, have to pick one of those up. And this is the trouble: there's such a lot, isn't there? When you talk about the, the material, and the, what people are turning out, and the, and the quality of what it what it is, I'm quite, actually quite a slow reader. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that doesn't help. I do want to kind of read and experience as much as possible, but actually fitting that in around writing as well, for, for me, is, is quite a challenge. So I'm quite quite selective in who I pick up and who I who I read at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, I know the feeling. It's, it seems like I put out a, a review every few days or so, but I'm actually not that fast of a reader. I listen to audiobooks at a kind of quick pace, but uh, actually sitting down and reading, whether it's an e or whether it's a physical book, I'm pretty slow because I can't, I want to absorb everything and I feel like if I rush it, I'm missing something, especially when I'm the pre- previous series I'm reading, uh, Jenny words, war light and shadow. It penalizes you if you don't pay attention because you're going to miss something yeah. down the road and be like, wait, oh, I can't believe I missed that. I should have paid more attention to it. Or you just miss it entirely. Um, in, in, I, my, in your defense, I think uh, if you're a slow reader, you can, you can still miss a lot as well.
1: Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't think it's, uh, necessarily a pace question it's just sometimes you know you've got to be paying attention haven't you really and yeah. uh um just thinking as well about you know sci-fi and, and just having another brief pause on that i think the other one that i'd probably mention there was chris beckett a british author who wrote the dark eden trilogy you mm. may or may not have i have heard heard of him. Of but yeah but again not, not an author I'd, I'd read or, or heard about myself, although he's been around um, in, for quite in a active writer for quite a long time, picked up his book called Dark Eden, which, which is basically kind of like castaways on a, on a rogue planet drifting through space outside of a star. So you know it's, the, the idea blows your mind straight away. But just again, a really, really thoughtful piece of sci-fi that actually talks, it's, it's all about humanity and actually humanity coming to a planet they don't belong to and what they do to that planet but also what they do to themselves. It's just the most, you know, the sense of place he creates out of it is absolutely fantastic. And For me, it showcases why the novel format is such a brilliant form of art because, you know, so, you know, it's just words on a page, but what he creates inside your mind and what you experience as a reader, it's absolutely phenomenal. So yeah, that's my, another top tip there. Definitely check out Chris Beckett and Dark
0: Eden. I sure will. Um, and just one more thing to get into. You mentioned uh, you have, you're an agent, you have an agent published publisher. So, what made you decide to try to go down the self-publishing road as opposed to like the traditional? And what was your experience like going through that um, that whole process? Because I'm sure a bunch of um, listeners maybe want to think about publishing and they not sure which route to go down.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I started traditional because I didn't really understand there was an alternative. If I'm perfectly honest with you, so you know, I, I was so back in the day when I was writing, I wasn't on social media. I didn't sort of follow any of the trade. but I kind of knew vaguely what how it worked, and that you know if you went on the internet, you, there were people called agents that would sell you book, that could sell your books to publishers, and that you know again it's quite obvious. I don't do any research really when I, when I stop and think on all my life choices, really. So yeah, I kind of I, I simply I suppose followed the traditional route because I didn't really know any better, and you know trad publishing it's it's quite a hard. <laughs> It's quite a hard experience because basically it's built upon rejection, upon rejection, upon rejection. So getting accepted by an agent is, is obviously fantastic, but it's actually simply the start of your journey where you've then got to put yourself out there and see where the publishers will, will take you or not. They ultimately passed on Hall of Bones. Um, yeah, how do I feel about that? It doesn't really matter how I felt about that. They, they passed. I got some good feedback, but they, they, just ultimately, they decided it wasn't the fit project for them. And I, and I sat there thinking I poured... You know I carried on writing the series while we were querying. so at that point I got three books written uh, of varying quality and um I thought I, I want the I want people to read my books I haven't spent the last you know 15 years of my life writing novels for them to simply to be gathering dust somewhere that wasn't it just didn't seem an acceptable option so at that by that point I'd I'd started to sort of like embrace social media I started to understand there were more options out there and ultimately You know, me and John, we had a chat and we said, if it was going to happen now in the trad route, it would have happened by now. It hasn't. I want my book out there. And John was actually fantastically supportive about that. You know, he's a great agent because, you know, he he totally gets how hard some of this is. But he's also incredibly supportive and he won't stand in the way of you wanting to do what you want to do. He's very, very understanding like that. And that that was actually how A Quiet Vengeance came about. So when I decided to go um, self-publishing, I wrote another novel just to have a final I suppose I say a final maybe not we'll see Um, another crack at the traditional publication route and give them a different project to work with Uh, and then I went back to Hall of Bones I self-published and I sort of self-published that basically by kind of linking up with the writing community on Twitter primarily that was really my gateway into working out the ropes of it in terms of the experience of what what that was like on one level it's really straightforward uh, but there are lots of technical aspects to it that are quite. You, you do need to do your research. I would never say to somebody, write a book, finish it, and immediately self-publish it. You know, you've got to go through the editing phases. Quality controls really hard when you're self-published. But I think the biggest challenge of all, if you master the technicalities of getting it out on Amazon, say, working at how to get, you know, the formatting done, all the technical things. You think that's it, but actually, that's that, that's simply you're on the board now in terms of the game of then selling books and and reaching readers and I think what a lot of people who are self-publishing perhaps underestimate is the challenge of actually connecting with with readers which is obviously where people like you come in because I I didn't really understand fully the importance the book blogger community plays in this you know you, you guys are absolutely crucial in terms of you know small people like me starting out trying to find that audience you know not everyone's going to like my book, of course they won't. Not, you know, all books have got their, their detractors, haven't they? But it made me sort of realise that getting published in terms of self-publishing was, was one level, but then it's that connection with that community that's actually the most important part of that now. Probably what I do is is trying to sort of make people aware of it, but also find people that like it who, who are willing to share the word. And I think anybody that's looking at self-publishing, you need to know which bloggers are you going to approach? And you need to also be very understanding of them because they're very busy people, aren't they? And, you know, not all of them have time to review it, but, you know, hold on to the people that, that click you click with and uh, they will help you along the way. I think that's actually a crucial part to it. And a I really didn't understand at all in 2020, really, until I, I sort of made that, took that plunge.
0: Yeah and you you reached out to me right when I was starting my own blogging experience so we were kind of kind of hit it up from the beginning uh, right out right at the gate. so we grew we grew together uh, that way and I have this one last one last question from David from uh, FanFiatic is like how come you never smile in any of your pictures on social media <laughs> um, I'm a miserable bastard <laughs> I'm, sure, um, I'm sure I, you I don't know. I
1: don't smile well I, I don't know what, what went wrong but I I just you know, when I smile, things just—it just feels slightly as if I might be, you know, needing to be locked up somewhere. So yeah, I, I play it straight. One of these have one of the problems is that I'm the I'm the picture taker in our family. So there's lots mm-hmm. and lots of pictures. You see again on social media quite a bit, but there's very few of me. Um, whenever people try and take a picture of me, it's always, you know, a little bit uh, bit of a grimace. So what you've got on social media, I I kid you not, they are the best pictures of me that exists out there so far that's as good as it gets if and when a better picture is taken it will be uploaded immediately but uh, unfortunately now is you know that that moment hasn't arisen yet sadly well,
0: we'll be on the lookout for that so as we wrap up why don't you uh, let the um, audience members and listeners know where they can find you your twitter handle your your website um your um your newsletter uh, all that bit
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, I kept it simple. Um, So basically, it's Tim Hardy Author for is the handle for Twitter. Um, The website is timhardyauthor.co.uk. And um, that's also where you can actually find if you uh, get to the contact um, page on that website, you can sign up for the the newsletter there. Facebook is Tim Hardy Author again, but public at the end. So that's the main sort of landing page for for people trying to find me on the on Facebook. Uh, and that, that's it. That's as far as I've delved into social media so far. But yeah, should be pretty
0: easy to find. It should, yep, should be pretty easy to find. And we'll be uh, hounding you for uh, book three whenever that's ready to <laughs> come out. It's, it's uh, So yeah, editing's going, probably
1: sounded like it was further back than it actually is. But I'm confident I'll have it ready, probably for the second half of 2022.
0: Can't wait, to, can't wait to read it. Well, Tim, thank you so much for joining me. I truly appreciate it. Let's do this again sometime. That'd be cool. Thanks very much, players. Appreciate it. All right, cheers.